Okay, why don't we grab a seat if you've not already grabbed it. Um, Transformed by the word, not any word. That's what we've been looking at over the last three weeks, and we're going to look at that today, and we're going to look at that next week, that we are to be transformed by the word, not any word. That word that we are transformed by is Jesus himself and Jesus' words. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It goes to work on the heart and it cuts and creates life where white life wasn't. And it gets rid of yucky bits that have somehow attached themselves to the heart. That's why the Bible says, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. If your heart has been given away to any other person but Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to take it back and give it back to him because he is the only one that will not hurt your heart. He's the only one you can trust your heart with. For Jesus said, I will not entrust my heart to anyone but my Father, for I know what lies in the heart of all man. Imagine if Jesus had entrusted man with his heart when Peter denied him, when Judas betrayed him, when he was in his deepest, darkest moment in the garden, and he said, lads, can you pray with me for one hour? And they all said yes, and he came back and they were all asleep. What happens when you give your heart to someone and they break your heart, they break your trust, you are broken with them. Don't give your heart to anyone but the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not give it to your children. Do not give it to your spouse. Do not give it to your sport, your money, your career, your holiday home, your possessions. Give it to the one who will never leave you, never forsake you, and you will come into a fullness and a wholehearted life in Jesus Christ, guaranteed. Amen? And you know what brings us into that reality? Him. Him. So you can't figure that on your own. You can't just try and figure it out. Okay, the guy said I've got to try and give my heart. How do I do that? So we're going to have an open heart surgery. Pull my heart out. No, you surrender to him. You acknowledge where your heart's being given to. Jesus came to heal the, and bind up the brokenhearted. See, a divided heart's a broken heart. Did you realize that? If your heart's divided up into four pieces, that is not a whole heart, is it? It's been broken up into pieces. Well, you're going to love God with the amount of heart you've given him. And yet the commandment tells us to love God with all of our heart. How can you love him with all of your heart if eight people have your heart? Has even God got your heart? God, I'm going to love you with a sixteenth. What you sow, you reap, so you'll live a life of a sixteenth heart. There's a true work of the Holy Spirit that he's doing here in our hearts and our minds. It's happening. I'm going to read about it. Because God has given us 12 prophetic words from heaven to demonstrate, to talk about the work that I am doing here. So we're going to unpack some of these today. But it's the word, Jesus Christ and his words that go to work and do the work in us of transforming us. We must, as we've been talking about, receive the word. Not here in our spirit. And then our mind gets renewed by the Spirit, which means we then understand it. We're going to look at that again and accepting this, because this is the point today that we must accept. So let's have a look at 1 Thessalonians 2. And uh, I'm just going to read this again. Repetition is how we learn. Did you know that? 
1 Thessalonians 2, 13. And if you were just here for the first time, we've been looking at this passage and then pulling it apart, looking at other scriptures that relate and putting it back together. And as I've been saying, this is, this is fundamental that we understand what's being said here in two verses. It's fundamental to our coming into the life. If we don't get this, we won't be in life. It's as simple and as clear as that. Thessalonian church, Paul's talking to them. He says this in verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this reason, we also constantly thank God. Thank God. See, he's thanking God because he's about to say that we see something in these people. This man lived a lonely life. You, as you read his letters, you can see, I long to be with you because you guys get me. See, half the Corinthians church, no, about half, maybe it's a quarter, I don't know, but it says the Corinthians church, some of them thought Paul was a deceiver. It's pretty lonely when some of the people in your community think you're the deceiver. Are you the false apostle? I think he is. Are you the false teacher? That's what they were saying about the Apostle Paul. He says, I'm known to somebody, but I'm not known to a whole lot of other people. That's interesting, isn't it? So he's saying, I thank you for these people. Why? That when you received the word, so when the Thessalonians received the word of God, we looked at received, we've looked at the word of God. What is it? Which you heard, that was last week, from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So here are these men, Paul and his cronies, speaking the word of God, and this community called The Rock heard the word spoken through man, believed it was the Lord speaking, received it, and it went and did a work in The Rock. Not the building, everyone that's sitting here and it's not here that says I'm part of this community. So my question is how much of the word that's being declared has gone and done a work in our hearts and minds? A little bit, none, heaps. Can we give living testimony to what the Father has been speaking here to us because the Lord is speaking? There are people who had no idea about our journey that came into this house and started speaking the word that the Lord had given them to speak. Big questions, eh? So we're going to look at accepting. Receive the word here, accept. And then next week, performs its work in who believe. We're going to unpack that. So I remember a few years ago, we had this cool idea that came from God to give money away at shell garages for two hours we gave ten dollars away to every customer that came through i had a buddy who worked at shell in the marketing division i said would you guys be interested in this they said we'd love to be part of that it's not our money it's your money it's going to make us look good so we said awesome so we were in we were all over the place in wellington giving ten dollars away i think we gave about five thousand dollars away 
And what was fascinating is that some people really struggled to accept the money. I had one guy get very angry with me. I don't want your charity. I said, mate, sorry, just trying to make a difference, you know, because it was at the time when the prices of petrol was quite high. Some people accepted it. It was really funny, had these students, and um, they were smart, because they said, "Um, where else are you doing this? (laughs) It was really quite funny. They were like, man, where are you guys from? We said, we're part of a community, we're the church. Oh, wow, what, what community? We, well, we, our name's called The Rock. Wow, man, it's amazing. Some people sort of look like stunned mullets. Because I said this, I said, hey, has anybody given you money to pay for your petrol? And you know, it's going like, what did that guy just say? And you can see them working over in their mind going, did he really just say what I thought he said? So I'd say, you heard me right. Has anyone ever given you $10? And a free coffee at the Rock Cafe. (laughs) Has anyone ever given you $10 to pay for your petrol? No. Well, would you like $10? Anyone had a birthday here this week? (laughs) Would you like $10, Kate? Thank you. You're welcome. See, if Kate doesn't accept the $10, then what's the point? It's in the accepting of the $10 that now Kate can go and use the $10 how she desires. If we're not accepting his word, then it's not going to perform a work in you. You've got to accept. Some of us really, really struggle to accept his love. You see, it's so free and we're so conditioned that you have to earn everything that when it comes, you reject the offer. Well, if we want to come into life, we've got to accept what the author has put down, his words. Otherwise, there's no life. If Kate doesn't accept the gift... She can't take the gift and use it for her benefit. If we don't accept the gift, no benefit, no change. And so this is so powerful. And I want us to come to Acts 10. And I want to show us something here of a man called Peter who accepted what the Lord said without understanding. But he accepted it. And then understanding came. And this is a word for us as a community. Let me just read Acts 9, verses... Sorry, Acts 10, sorry. Acts 10, verses 9. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housing top, so the housetop, about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry 
and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Interesting, a voice came to him. You hearing that? A voice came to us. It's all interconnected. Don't take yourself out of the scriptures. We'll look at it if it's it's this abstract reality. Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time, while God has... What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. We're changing things a little bit around here. But we've got to know what he's talking about. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, this is beautiful, verse 17. Now, now while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind. (laughs) Anyone being greatly perplexed in mind here? Why is he greatly perplexed in mind? So he's trying to understand something that's in the spirit through the mind. How do you receive? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. The mind must be renewed. You are transformed through the renewing of your mind, which is done by the spirit, not through your ability to learn. This needs to break and be smashed into a trillion pieces because it's the way the church tries to come into God and we realize, well, if we come in this way, where is the corresponding life? Where is the actuality of this receiving mode of being? Because as I said before, we're called to appropriate his life, aren't we? We're earmarked to live out a specific kind of life and Jesus is the pattern. So this is beautiful. So this guy, Peter, he's now great, greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might behold. The men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, he's meditating. He's going, what is this all about, God? Help me understand. Help me understand. Reveal to me what this is about so I can understand. The Spirit said to him, not yourself, not someone else through a book, the Spirit directly speaks. The Holy Spirit has been given to lead us into all truth. If we are in all truth, the truth will make us free. See the corresponding reality of what the truth has been given for? Okay, it's beautiful. God's showing you his how-to. Behold, three men are looking for you, but get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings. Come down with me to verse 23. So he invited them in and gave them lodging, and on the next day he got up and went away with them, And some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied them. He left without still having an understanding of what it was all about. But he accepted the word that they brought. 
as you track this, he then comes into the revelation that the Holy Spirit shows him what the whole thing was about, which was the Holy Spirit was for the Gentile people. Because pre-gone days, what on earth's going on? He's thinking it's all about eating animals and stuff. He's got no understanding of what this is all about because he's listening through an old filter. And he's going, one and one equals ten. And he's greatly perplexed in mind because he's trying to figure this all out in the knowledge that he thinks he has. Man, that's hard work, isn't it? There's not a lot of rest in that. And there's certainly no life that's associated with it. And you know what? God had to come and show him three times because he's denying it. No, no. See, if we're not accepting, you know what we're doing? We're rejecting. We're deflecting. We're justifying it away. We're ignoring. We might be completely even unaware. So it's being spoken, but we are completely and utterly unaware. It's like, what? Did someone say something? Yeah, yeah, the truck left half an hour ago. Where were you? Well, I was, if you were here last week, I ate raw schnitzel. Because I wasn't hearing instructions that were given by Danielle. I was listening to Paul Holmes' voice and ignoring my wife. And that cost me the next night eating raw schnitzel. And I ate the whole thing because I'm such a muppet and I was so hungry because when you put it in the microwave and you heat it for a minute, it sort of looks semi-cooked. And when you throw tomato sauce on it and slap a bit of bread on it, you go, oh, well, I'm hungry, I'm a male. Mm. All the while going, this doesn't taste that good. <laughs> to which my wife came home and said, so how did you cook the schnitzel? <laughs> oh, is that why it tasted horrible? Because I was completely deflecting, rejecting what she was saying. I wasn't even listening to her. I was listening to Paul Holmes. It's a good lesson, sweetheart, to listen to you the whole time. Because you are always right. See, I've learned, guys, the hard way, but I learned. I may wear the pants, but she tells me which ones to put on. Understanding came as he accepted Peter. As he accepted the word that he had known, and he walked with those men. Do you know what you have to do to walk? You have to trust. You have to have faith in him and the people that are talking, in the people that are going, come, let's go together. But that's risky, isn't it, guys? What if they lead us astray? What if they lead us down the wrong path? What if they lead us to the right path? You're never going to know unless you get walking. And I've got a God who's big enough to redirect us if we get slightly off cue. Because why? Because he's the author. He's the perfecter. He's my father. He loves me. And he will come and redirect me if I slightly get off, if we get off straight. But what if we're not? What if we're on the right path? What if we're on a narrow path that comes to life? And at the end of that, there's a pearl. And along the way, there's pearls. And God's feeding us in the wilderness like he did feed the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 8. We think the wilderness is horrible. God's right in the wilderness. 
Go read Deuteronomy 8. They were eating food their forefathers never ate. And it was coming directly from heaven. Oh, where did that come from? Heaven, not the earth. Heaven. Where do these words come from? Heaven. But have you accepted them? Do you even know they exist? If you're new here, you won't. So if you're thinking about making this your home, I would strongly encourage you to go on the website because they're on the website. They've been on the website for a year and a half. We have about 50 copies of these that are on the uh, counter out there. And I would encourage you to take them home and meditate because the words in this booklet have been defining and building what's been happening here in six years. This will give you answers to questions you may have as to why things have been uprooted, shifted, put back together, shaken and stirred, pressed down, and voila. So we're going to read some of these today. If we are not accepting his word, then we are either unaware, ignoring, rejecting, deflecting, denying, justifying, or rationalizing his word away. I don't just don't mean the words in that, I mean the whole thing. Come with me to John 6. So I want to give you an example of where this happens so we can see it. John 6, 53. God ever asked you to do something and you've said no? Yep, anyone? I have, yep. So is that disobedience? No, Lisa, Lisa Lamb says no. <laughs> there you go, that's an interesting one. <laughs> See, if I ask my children to do something, when my dad asked me to do something, and I didn't do it, there was consequences. See, there's even a story about that where a man comes and says, I want you to go into the field, and the son says no, but then he goes. There's another son that says yes, and he doesn't. So... Is it a blessing or a curse with disobedience? It's very clear in the Bible. There's a cursing. If you disobey, there's cursing. If you do what I ask, there's blessing. They never came into the promised land because they disobeyed. It's really simple. This ain't rocket science. It's like, if you do what I say, then it works well. If you don't do what I say... I still love you, but your life is going to reflect your disobedience. So why are you whinging to me when you're in direct disobedience to me because you're getting what you've asked for? Yeah? So we're to blame, aren't we? If we reject, deny, rationalize away, then we are to blame. It's us. It's no one else. It's me. And so we must accept what he says, because he's the author. He is the perfecter. But he can't work with a disobedient person. He waits until that person is obedient. And he's prepared to wait forever. The sad story is it doesn't mean the disobedient person becomes obedient. You may stay disobedient your entire life, going, no, God, I'm going to tell you how it goes. Well, that doesn't work out too well. Have a good read. It didn't work out for these people. And we're all the same people. So you can't look at this and go, oh, those are those Israelite people. That's not me. 
Oh, that, that's not me. Look at that. I don't do that. Oh, really? It may not be that context, but what about other areas? It's really, really simple. And so here we see in John 6, Jesus, once again, he's the author. He's the perfecter. He's written the story. So we pick it up in John 6, 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. See, there is no life in you if you're not eating the real food. None. And that's what Jane was alluding to. So, guys, we've just got to confront this. If if we've got no life, no passion, no like desire, then we're not eating the right food. You could be reading, but you're not eating the right food. Truly I say to you, no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Eternal life now, not in the future, just in the future. An eternal life now, a life of joy, peace, patience, kindness, the fruit of the Spirit. It's an eternal life. Jesus lived his life from the eternal. Jesus is eternal life. In the knowing of Jesus Christ, John 17, 3, you'll have eternal life. 1 John 2 or 3 talks about eternal life is in you, as well as being forever. See, so he's saying, if you're not eating the meat, there's no eternal life, no life of an eternal value, the kingdom of God, in you being produced. I'm in you, but you're not abiding in me, so there's no life. See, it's got to be two-way. This relationship is two-way. I'm in you, but you have to abide in him. Obedience through the Spirit. No abiding, no life, even though this deposit's in you and I. John 15. So then he says, my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. There you go, before I even read it. And I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I because of the Father, so he, he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as your fathers ate and died, He who eats this bread will live forever. So here we go. Jesus is teaching his words, his way. He is the author. He is the perfecter. Everyone that's hearing, this is how it goes. You ready for the response? These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this statement, his disciples... His disciples, a disciple is one that wants to be like the master, the teacher, not a casual person. A disciple is way more than casual. A disciple is, I want to be like you. Go and make disciples. What? That would love God with all their heart, come into the fullness of eternal life. So his disciples, when they heard, hearing last week, when they heard something, This is what they said. This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Have you said that to yourself? The Simnor is going on about stuff. Mel is going on about stuff. Paul is going on about stuff. Clay is going on about stuff. I've got no understanding of what they're talking about. Who can listen to this? Love God with all your heart. That's impossible. Eternal life now. Oh, what a lot of rubbish. 
saints that will rule the world one day. Whoa, what is this stuff? I thought it was just about getting a few people saved, putting some money in a bucket and going home. Who can listen to this, those who have ears? Who can listen to this? Understand what the Lord has been saying here for six long years and will continue to speak to us. But Jesus, conscious that his disciple grumbled at this, and if he's not loving, we're all and they're all stuffed. You know when the cool thing about Peter is he never walked away. When Jesus rebuked Peter, he never walked away. Hmm. Think about that for a while. Now he says this. Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Mate, if this is causing you to stumble, what have I showed you this? To where he was before. Mate, now he's really winding them up. Because I am God. (gasps) That's why they killed him, wasn't it? So he's really taking it up a few notches. You think this? You, 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 I to eat my fish, drink my blood. And you think this is hard? What if I really took you deeper? What if I really started doing some real stuff? Mate, you're going to be really flipping out. And then he says this. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Hence, we're going to look at what true believing is next week. So let's just repeat what I've said. Jesus is God, yes. Jesus speaks from his perspective, his words, and they are true. But the audience, some of the audience who are disciples cannot hear. Hence, they then, and if you follow the story, they walk away from Christ. They literally leave. It says many of his disciples walked away. Does that make sense? Anyone walking away? (laughs) Sorry, guys. I didn't even see them get up and walk. See, what we don't realize is we can think because we come here, because we're sort of part of a family and because we do certain things that we're in. You can be right here today and be walking away the whole time. Literally, when you don't do what he asks you to do, you're walking away. And his love's covering it. His grace is covering you. Imagine if he took his grace away. Aren't you grateful that you live in this time zone and not in years gone by? Where he went, oh really? Have a bit of this, 30,000 people. Out of love. Why? Because they were disobedient. Aren't you glad that you were born in this time zone? But here's the problem. We can abuse the time zone we're in. Because it's so good. And these people can't hear. Hear, O Israel, he said. Hear. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
And there is a way and ability to hear in the spirit, but the flesh profits nothing. So if we've been trying to hear through the flesh, it profits nothing, nada, none. My words are spirit and they are life and they birth life if the person receives them my way. And my way, they hear the word, me, and my words, not man's version of it, painted up nicely. It's funny who the word of the Lord came to, wasn't it? In Luke 3. You notice that? Who did the word of the Lord come to in Luke 3? Was it Annas? The high priest? Was it Caiaphas? Was it the governmental states, the Roman emperors? No, the word of the Lord came to a guy called John. It's a Monty Python moment, if ever I saw one. The, all the who's who are out. The religious institution are there with their suits and their funny hats and their thing. You've got the world there, the Roman Empire all there, the, the, the governor of this and the governor of that and the governor of this. It's like, you know, it's Trump here, it's, it's, it's Bolger here, it's this prime minister here, it's this president here. All the who's who and the word of the Lord, which actually is the word that penetrates and cuts and does his work, comes to a guy called John. Not the flashiest name when you've got governor this and governor that and Caiaphas, that sounds pretty cool. What a name. What's your name? Caiaphas. But it came to a guy who ate locusts with wild honey and wore funny clothes who's in the wilderness. I found love in the open field. Doesn't come to the institution, doesn't come to the world, doesn't come to the system. You know the word that comes to those people is a word that tickles the ears of man. Not the word that cuts, that penetrates, that bursts life, but initially has to go in if there is stuff in there and do a work to bring forth. Jesus said, make sure you stop polishing the outside of the cup and get the inside dealt with. Then the outside will naturally just change. But they didn't have ears to hear this word. You see, Jesus is speaking his realm and there's no ears to hear. Even his own disciples struggle to hear because they're trying to hear through the flesh. We do exactly the same. And that has consequences. You know the parable of the sower? When you read that parable, the last soil, the last part, which is reflective of heart, there are four hearts being described. Rocky, hard, road, soil, those people accepted the word, the kingdom word. They accepted it. The Bible says they heard it, accepted it, and it produced a fruit. 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. All the other three environments never came into the life. One in four. Odds aren't great. Do you want to be the one out of the other three? Do you want to be a person who hears when it's said but doesn't receive because your heart is hard and the seed hits and Satan comes and whips it out before it's had a chance to do anything? It's gone. What about the person that hears the kingdom message, the kingdom word? They receive it with joy, but because there is no root and the word comes and it creates persecution... The sword comes and it starts to go to work in the flesh. Ah! 
then it doesn't perform its work. What about those that hear it, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth? And over time, and those things choke the life out of the life that was sown. One out of four. Two out of 12. Just declaring the truth. Let me read you some of these words. See, it's funny how Mark 4, 13 to 20, which is what I just said, which is the parable of the sower in Mark, pretty much is exactly the same as 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 to 14. The pattern is throughout the entire book. It's the same pattern. Hear, receive the word, believe, performs its work in you. Yeah? The whole pattern is throughout the entire scriptures. So once again, let's stop not asking for how-tos because it's right in front of you. Receive it as it is and everything starts to flow. The Bible says there was this man, the kingdom of God is like a man that gets up, gets some seed, throws it out, goes, I'm going to have a sleep. As I lie down, gets up, goes, how did that all get there overnight? Because the soil was fertile and the seed's powerful. And when the soil is fertile and the seed goes out because there's power in the seed to do all the work, you can have a good rest. You're not running around trying to do it. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Isn't that beautiful? That's a position of rest for the man that throw the seed out. It's a parable saying this is what the kingdom of God is like. Where's the kingdom of God? In us, and it's coming. So firstly, the kingdom of God is an invisible spiritual transformation of you and I. That the kingdom would be formed in us. Jesus is being formed in us preparing us, we're making us ready for the kingdom that's returning so we can participate in that kingdom literally. The bride has made herself ready, Revelation 19. God is looking for sons. Sons are led by the Spirit of God. All these scriptures paint one big picture. Hence, we have to meditate and accept his words. So I'm going to read some of these out. And it's amazing because half the words came in 2010 and the other half came in 2012. God will dismantle and reestablish Greg and the Rock's understanding on how he builds his church. I build my church. My church pushed back the gates of hell. The gates of hell do not overpower my church. Who's the builder? Who's the church? Who's the builder of the church? And what is that church able to do? Demonstrate him and overpower the gates of hell. So there is no real battle because the gates, the church, overcomes. The enemy goes, blah, and we go, huh, whatever. In your name I come alive. The victory in his name. 
So God was saying, Greg, the way you've been thinking it's happening, don't operate like that. Oh. Well, how does it operate? Let me show you. Oh, awesome. Cool. Stop leading people to the lost, lead them to me. That was for me. That was a rebuke. Who you were is not who you are today. And who you are today is not who you're becoming. What do you notice about those words? Who you were. Not what you were doing, not where you were meeting, not that you were going to plant something else in the city, not that you were going to perform signs and wonders. Who you were as a people is not who you are today. And who you are today is not who you're becoming. What is the purpose to become like? For the bride has made herself ready, transformed into the image, for I work all things for the good that those who love me, because you have been chosen to be conformed into the image of the Son. It's all in Scripture. Are we meditating? Do we know the Word? Because all I'm doing is speaking what's in the book. I'm not pulling this out of thin air. It's in the book. So it's like Cindy Ruakiri, thank you. When she said this, it was angels were singing when it came out of her mouth. Do you know what's in here though? Are you on the journey of this? Can you say to yourself, yes, I am not who I was six years ago. I can track the changes from six years I can give you living testimony of the Jesus I now know and the words of his, what he's doing and what that's doing within me. I can give you living testimony, the testimony that overcomes. Why? Because I am in him and he's in me and I'm abiding in him and he's abiding in me. Have I accepted these words as the word of the Lord? Or am I still rejecting them? Have I ignored them? Do I even not even know they are present? Have I rationalized them away for just Greg? Oh, that's just for the eldership. When, I, when one of these words came, I had a conversation with someone. Listen, God will dismantle and reestablish Greg and the rocks. I had a meeting with a man who was leaving this place, and I said, you know when that word came about dismantling? And I said he was going to dismantle me first. He said, yeah. And I said, then he was going to dismantle everyone that was here. He said, yeah. He said, I said, did you not think that was you? He said, no. Arrogance, pride. Here's the problem. You see, when the prophetic knocks on your door, it's fine when it's knocking on someone else's door. But when it turns up on your door and goes, hey, knock, 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 I'm standing on the outside of the door wanting to get in church, what do you do? Reject it, ignore it, deflect it, or accept it? See, there is life in the words that have been given here. Those are three. This one is unbelievable. This came on the same night of the one I just read. While out in New Zealand farmland, I notice a small walking track off the side of the road. I follow it and find myself on a loop track. The whole thing feels quite quiet and eerie. And so I sit down in the long grass beside the track and then I lie down so I'm hidden. While I am lying there, I see a herd of white wild horses galloping along the track towards me. They are perfectly white and so beautiful. But bring them 
sorry, but bring with them a sense of fear and holiness. Unusually, they are very quiet and in perfect unison as they gallop past. I am blown away and excited and go back down the track to get the rest of the group I'm with. I bring them, a group of about five young people, to the spot where I had been and find the patch of pressed down grass. I tell them to lie down, hide themselves, and be quiet and wait. Around the corner comes a new herd of horses, but these ones are coloured brown, dappled black, all sorts. As they pass us, I notice they are covered in flour, disguised as the white horses. I see their eyes and know they are fakes. They do not carry the same sense of awe or beauty, just a freaky imposter look. The group begin to get up, thinking that was the spectacle I had brought them for. I beg them to stay and tell them to lie down. Be quiet, you'll miss the real thing. But I know that we might have to wait a while, who knows how long, to see the white horses again. But remember, it's a loop track, so my gut says they'll have to be back around. But the group don't want to wait. They start getting up and are so casual about what they saw, they just don't get it and want to move on. These words are building, defining, shaping you and I. They are living themselves out. When that was spoken, I knew exactly what that was. I had the interpretation of that as soon as I heard it, because God had been speaking to me about it for about two years. See, there are wise and there are foolish virgins. There are Christians who try and come in through the flesh, and there are Christians who enter in through the Spirit. There are people who play church, and there are people who are the church. There are people who truly want to be community, and there are those that tick boxes. One's called the institutionalized mindset, and the other one's called the kingdom mindset. And God is trying to change this place from an institutionalized mindset to a kingdom mindset. And his love and his grace is covering all this and his power will bring us into it if we are willing to accept what he's doing. And if we receive what he's doing by faith and believe it. And he has spoken through a number of people, 12 words. Oh, that was just some stupid dream some girl had about wild horses. I don't even like horses. When transition is embraced, it is empowering. I saw Greg and Danielle, you were looking at this prize, this thing of great price and value, and there was a large thorn bush between where you were standing and that incredible prize. I saw various people trying to push their way through the thorn bush, and of course they got cut and stuffed, and they quite... And they, and they quit. Um, and it says, ouch. <laughs> but then I saw the Spirit of the Lord come on you, and I saw you go up, and instead of trying to push it aside or hack at it, you just carefully and very scarefully seemed to untangle the thorns. It took a lot of patience, care, and sensitivity, but eventually you were able to unravel it and pull those thorns out until there was a, there was a gap 
and you went through and you pursued the prize. I just pray that picture will mean something to you. Paul said, I'm pressing on to a prize. Once again, I know what that's about. The other thing that I saw quite vividly actually was this well. And this well looked like it was under construction. It was well under construction. Even the water within it was being treated. Then I saw as a result of that process, I saw the end result, and this well was wonderful to look at, and the water in it was sparkling, vibrant, and alive. It was incredible. Then I saw the purpose of it all. I saw people from this house, your leadership people in this house, putting buckets into this well. And then I saw them go to other broken, dishevelled-looking wells that had practically no water in them at all. And they were pouring the water into these wells. And they did so. It was like the whole well came alive. And I said, Lord, what is this all about? I believe God is in the process of doing something very unique in this house. I believe that the outcome of that process, whatever it is, and whatever God is doing in the midst, the result of it will not only be this incredible vibrancy, and yet the well itself was so strong. That tells me that there's such a contrast, because out of the strength of the well, and yet the vibrant life that was in it, tells me that there was going to be a combination of security, strength, and stability, which talks to me about the Word of God. Get the life inside of it is free. It's bubbling, it's exciting, it's effervescent. That talks to me about the Holy Spirit. These are in 2010. As we journey forward as a community this year, every heart will start to be exposed for what's in it. God's been doing heart surgery. And he still is. Heart and mind surgery. But what for? What, what, would, what, what for? To hurt us? No. Is he for us or against us? How many of us can actually say you are an abundant life today? In you. That you can honestly say I'm in an overflowing full-on, on-fire life. Okay. So, God wants to go to work because he wants us in that life. That's why he's coming. That's why he's speaking. That's why he's saying what he's saying. Because he sees our true state that you've all just admitted. Who are we trying to kid? So he knows the true state of our hearts. And he wants to come like a loving father and do a work. But see, part of the problem with our hearts is they're full of pride. And pride is anti the kingdom. Because the kingdom is humility. So how do you go from pride to humility? Because God's trying to take you from pride to humility when you're not humble. And just because I wash Paul's feet doesn't mean I'm humble. Because it's a about being before it's about doing. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. It doesn't say blessed are the poor who act humbly. Blessed is the poor in spirit. And that unlocks all the other be attitudes, which really are the kingdom of God in you. So God's got to come like a surgeon and say, are you willing to lay on the operating table called the altar and let me go to work. See, it's us. We're the sacrifice. That's what worship is. 
the laying down of one's life. We sing it singing songs. We've made a business out of singing songs. And, and that's not worship. Worship is offering your life as a living sacrifice, as holy and pleasing to the Lord. Why? So you can then go prove what his will is. If you're not a living sacrifice that's laying your life down, you won't have a clue what the will of God is. Hence, the church is still asking, what is the will of God for my life? Wrong question. Because we're supposed to be proving what it is. See? You see the disconnect? But while we actually want to justify and not accept, you're going to stay in the same state you've always been in. And then we whinge about it. And yet there's life and life of abundance if we will actually come through God's process. But it's a process of death to life. That's what he's been saying for six years. I see your state. I see the true state. And I am compassionate and in love. And I want to come and sit with you. And I want you to walk with others on a journey and figure this out. Chris has been with the elders and, 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 and just, we've just been wrestling for stuff as an eldership. And we will continue to wrestle for a reality that God wants to... Because why? Because we're all earmarked. I am for him. He is for me. We're in the same team. God gives gifts to build his house and they are given to the church and they are in the same team. But see, when pride exists, pride ultimately is in fear of some things because it shrinks back instead of moving towards. And I use sporting analogies all the time to try and paint this picture. It's like if Jonah Lomu is in the All Blacks and you're an All Black, do you want Jonah in your team or are you so insecure that Jonah makes you don't, you, if Jonah's in the team, you don't look that flash? I don't know. You just, and forgive me for, if you're a forward, okay, but, but I mean, maybe you're a prop. And, you know, traditionally props are the grunters and the wingers are the, you know, the backs are the guys that have all the hairstyle and look all the good, they never get dirty and it's the, it's the forwards that do all the work. So maybe if Jonah's in your team, it's like, oh my goodness, Jonah's in the team. I feel stink. I don't want him in my team because he makes me not look good. But what if Jonah's in your team? Why, why would you be like that? I want Jonah in the team. Jonah Lomu's in my team. Give him the ball. I certainly don't want him in the opposition if he's running at me. He's in my team. God, you've given gifts to be in my team. Why am I deflecting, running away from what you've given for me? Because pride exists. And where there's pride, fear. And where fear exists, fear walks away from God. And that's what's been happening here. Ultimately, do you know why? Because we can't hear. We can't hear. And we're hearing through a filter and coming to our own conclusion. And we're living that conclusion out. Not everyone, but some people. You've seen the seats. Here's the thing. This is what God showed me the other week. He said, this is why you cannot be connected to anyone physically. If friendships become more important than your relationship with Christ, when that person decides to go, you go with them. I cannot be connected to Danielle physically. If I'm connected to her physically before I am spiritually, I'm in trouble. And so is she. We've had to work this out. And the only reason we could work some of the stuff that we've worked out is because we're not connected to one another. 
I've had to say things to my wife to straighten her, align her, rebuke her in love. And she will teach this, and she taught this, and maybe she can teach more on this stuff so you can get a fuller understanding, and vice versa. And if I'm connected to her, I will not be who she needs me to be because I'm in fear of maybe breaking the relationship. But when I'm separated from the relationship, connected to him, I can actually be love for her. And I can say what she needs to hear, not what she wants, and vice versa. You take that, now you put it into a discipleship group of 12, into a community. This is what the Bible says in Galatians, that you will not be a bondservant if you are trying to find the favor of man. Because you will not deliver the word of the Lord in fear of what the people actually say and think. Because what if they all go? Because they don't like what's being spoken. Well, they all go because Jesus is building his church and it's never anyone's church but his. Does that make sense? But if we will not accept what he is doing here, then you will get what you've always got. And guys, it's sad, but in time, you will walk out the door because you're looking for food. You know there is food, and you will go looking for a food source to feed you. But what I do know is God is trying to press us on to maturity. Yes, that is not a community that's feeding milk. If we've been in Christ more than a year, we should have moved past that. Let's be honest, shouldn't we? Milk is right in the right season. If my children are still sucking milk, they are ten and a half and seven and a half, there's something wrong with my parenting. It's no different here. And God said, Greg, it's time that the church grew up and became the mature bride that I'm looking for and stopped being infants. But can we receive that in love? That's what he said to me. It's a rebuke in love. It's a correction in love. Why? Not to hurt us, damage us, but to propel us into the reality in which he's calling. You've all just admitted that you're not in this amazing life. But we're invited to be, yes? So we have to acknowledge We have to recognize it. We've done that. We then turn, repent, and move towards our Father because he's waiting, going, come to the altar, for I have much to give you. If you will learn from me, I will give you my life through the power of my spirit. Paul was praying on his knees before heaven, going, I pray I pray, I pray, I pray that this church would be strengthened with power from within her so with all the saints they would be able to comprehend how high, how wide, how deep, how long is the love of God that surpasses the intellect that we would know and appreciate and be able to realize and then live and demonstrate. Jesus demonstrated, God demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners in the laying down of his son's life. 1 John 3.16 says, you'll know the way they love by the way they lay their lives down for one another. Can you see all the correlations and the connections between who the church of Jesus is called to be? It's beautiful. It don't get any better. But fear and pride will keep you out of it. It'll keep you rejecting, deflecting, denying, 
rationalizing it all away. And yet, it's actually happening, and it's been happening for six years now, and it's right in front of us. Jesus was the man of the earth, sorry, the man of heaven who lived on earth, and he spoke things of the heavens. If you want to be born again, you've got to be born of the Spirit. And the teacher, the teacher of his people said, what? What? I've got to go back and, that's messy, man. And Jesus went, man, we're in trouble. See, the word of God came to a guy that didn't look like it should come to. The word of God that cuts, the word of God that changes, comes to people who are out in the open fields. They're people who are in the wilderness. They're people that say this, I ain't Elijah. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a senior pastor. I'm not a CEO. I'm a nobody. But I'm a voice. God knows those who are humble in heart, and he knows those that are pride and full of themselves. And he brings words to those he knows. He came to John. But here's the thing. John was a nobody in the eyes of the institution. He was a somebody in the eyes of the kingdom. His father was a priest of the Levitical order. But I'm a nobody. No, no, I actually am the prophet of the Most High God. And I'm the greatest prophet of the last prophets, but I'm a nobody. Can you hear the man's humility? For my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. If that is the case, then I will bow my knee because through weakness I will come into your power and your life. And when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Then I will be used. This is what he's been doing. But will we accept it? I pray you will. Even if you've been with us for the last six years and you're just hearing it afresh, I pray you will actually accept, turn and start seeking him with all you have because he is declaring a life. I'm in it to a measure. Others are coming in it to a measure. It's being declared now through numbers of other people. And that's what Jane was talking about. It's not just one now, it's numbers that have come into it. I've seen the staff come into it to a measure. The elders, we're all coming into it more to a measure. People, just people in general, are coming into it to a measure. So get around people that are on fire and start talking to them. And maybe get into discipleship. Maybe you just want to go, I'm going to actually get into the pattern that Jesus is actually commissioning me to be in. You're going to be held accountable to it. I would wake up if you're not now because that judgment seat where it's a judgment for reward and the Bible says there is loss. So if we're not in true discipleship, guys, it's the Great Commission. It's the truth. And um, this is my last thought. (laughs) Jack Nicholson should have been quoted and it should have been attached to hear somewhere when he said, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> the words of Jack. It'd make a good tui ad, eh? You know? Truth will set you free. Truth will also repel you if you're in pride of life. No opposition in the spirit. Let's be a people of spirit. Let's walk in the spirit, hear in the spirit, and be humble enough to be changed. Amen?
So, Father, I just thank you for what you're doing, you have done, are doing. Other people have been part of this process. You've brought them in to speak to us, Father, and your word, your whole entire book is prophetic. It's a living word. It's an active word, Father, and yet it is already finished. And so, God, give us ears and eyes to see and hear. Give us a humility of heart to receive your word. May we be quick to hear, slow to speak. And may we be doers of the word that's revealed within us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.